When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. No music, no intro. Uh, I made a, a rookie mistake and I just did the intro and I was on mute, so no one heard it. Um, no, I didn't. Yeah, I thought maybe I lost you. <laughs> nope, that was that was me. Um, <laughs> we another episode of hashtag Taste Twitter podcast. We're back. We got Greg back on the show. Uh, he came on two weeks ago. We had the equivalent of a football porn conversation in football form. So Ryan and I. Had to get Greg back and, and talk more Saints things. Uh, you can follow Greg on Twitter at Greg Cosell. Um, he does the NFL matchup show. He does uh, the Ross Tucker football podcast. How are you doing this morning, Greg? I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Good, good. Good, good to get you back on the show. So we wanted to do something a little differently for this episode. We, we actually opened it up to, you know, to the listeners to, to ask Greg a question in regards to to the Saints and, you know, give that opportunity because this isn't an opportunity we felt comes on along often. So I'm just going to, we're just going to get right into it. We're not going to get, you know, I'm going to, we're not going to pussyfoot around. I'm going to let Ryan kind of pick off the, pick off the, the first, first question. Uh, yeah. So uh, Greg, you know, there's been a lot of chitter chatter this week uh, about Mike Thomas uh, for whatever reason, I think it was related to, it started related to Michael Jordan and, you know, the last dance and how Michael Jordan is wired competitively. And he started talking about Mike Thomas. And some reason, the whole Twitter football universe was either pro-Thomas uh, pro or anti-Thomas or talking about his limitations or is he really good and stuff like that. What I mean, overall, what is your view on Mike Thomas? We know he's not, you know, you know like a speedster. He's not going to, you know, fly down the field running nine routes you know, but obviously with the production he's had since he's been in the league, obviously he's a high-level wide receiver. What, what's your view on Mike Thomas? Well, I think it's hard not to say Mike Thomas is a really good player. I think that it's a really good combination of his particular talent level and highly competitiveness with a system that presents tremendous opportunities. Uh, when you watch, I've actually been going through all of his first down targets because he caught 65 balls on first down. That, that was the most of any of the three downs. So I was just curious, uh, you know, and again, I watched this during the season, but that was a while ago when you get a totally different feel when you watch it back to back to back to back. So I'm just about done. I'm probably three quarters of the way done. I've been watching it in order from week one. And I, I think what stands out is how multiple the Saints are with their use of personnel and formations. 
Thomas lines up in multiple positions with many different splits. He's featured outside. He plays in, in the slot. Um, he plays in the conventional slot when there's two receivers to one side. He plays in the inside slot when there's trips, three receivers to the side. Uh, he, he's not a vertical threat in a strict sense by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't know if there's a better receiver in the NFL running slant routes. He runs slant routes, uh, particularly against press coverage, about as well as any receiver that I can think of. Uh, he gets off press. He catches the ball. He's physical. He's competitive. Uh, there's really not much not to like about Michael Thomas, given the talent level that he has and the system in which he plays. Right. And regarding the slants, that's sort of been one of the memes going around this week is, hey, Michael Thomas only runs slants. Obviously, that's not what he only runs, but he do he does run slants really, really well. They're really hard to stop. So it's like, why not run them, especially on first down? Yeah, and what they like to do a lot of is he's, he's often the boundary X, meaning the, the single receiver to the short side of the field, the boundary X. Um, in fact, he plays that more when Breeze is in the game. When Bridgewater played, they, they did a lot more moving him around. But when Breeze came back, he played the boundary X a lot. And what they do a lot of, and it's difficult to defend, is they put Kamara on the same side, whether Kamara's offset in the backfield for the boundary or whether Kamara's detached uh, on the line of scrimmage. And, uh, you know, that's a difficult deal for defenses. But, you know, I've never been caught up, and you hear this a lot about receivers coming to the NFL, I've never been caught up in, well, he doesn't run a complete route tree. You know, there's not a ton of receivers that run 10 different routes. That just doesn't happen. Um, Receivers tend to be used a certain way, and Thomas has a particular skill set, and you cannot discount his competitiveness. And that particular skill set that he has is really high level. So he's really, really good at that. And Sean Payton and that offense and that coaching staff is outstanding at creating opportunities. And, and therefore, Michael Thomas gets a ton of targets and a ton of catches. Right. Sticking with the offensive side of the ball, um, I think any, any football fan, Saints fan or casual football fan, has, you know, could tell that Drew Brees in terms of his arm strength as he's gotten older, has kind of had a, you know, has diminished a bit. Um, and, you know, the team doesn't, the team still has shot plays, but, you know, the going mask, you know, max protection and having that five-step drop and taking those yep. shots where it's a 70-yard, 80-yard touchdown to Devery Henderson or Robert Meacham, those plays aren't, and, you know, Sean Payton doesn't really call those anymore. But how how have you seen um, Sean Payton still be able to manufacture explosive plays down the field um, with Drew Brees still at quarter. Well, it gets back to what I mentioned earlier about how multiple the Saints are with personnel and formations. They create those opportunities. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, as I said, I'm not totally finished with Thomas, but on first down, which is when teams usually do shot plays, up to, um, I think I'm up to the second uh, Carolina game or maybe week 12 or 13. Um, there's really only been one shot play attempt to Thomas, and it was it might even have been Bridgewater who threw it. Um, I forget who it was against. I think it was against the Bucks the first time they played him. Yep. But uh, 
and it was a 34 yarder. It was, it was everybody runs this. It was a post cross combination, and Thomas ran the cross. Uh, it's it's something everybody runs. Um, but no, there are not a lot of those shot plays. Um, Breeze, you know, has been in his career a tremendous seam thrower. You see that once in a while, but not as often as you used to. Um, seam balls are more what we call firm touch throws as opposed to arm strength throws. Uh, but you still don't see as many of those as you did, let's say, in the Jimmy Graham era. Um, so, yeah, they don't do that as much, but I think they compensate with, as I said, in, in just multiple use of personnel, formations, shifts, motions, ways to create space. What they're trying to do, I mean, really what you're trying to do in a pass offense with your personnel, your formations, and your route concepts is create space. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you can't do that all the time. Sometimes receivers just have to win one-on-one, -on -one, and that happens in the league. But you're trying to create space with your route concepts and your route combinations. And I think Sean Payton is as good as there is in the league at doing that. And Greg, you, I mean, you studied, you studied quarterbacks for a while. I've heard you talk to you studied under, um, under Bill Walsh back in the day, Ron Jaworski, uh, at, at NFL films with arm strength and throwing distance. You know, a lot of people would see Breeze make a throw and maybe Ted, Ted Ginn might have to wait on it a little bit. They'll say, Oh, that's evidence of Breeze, Breeze's weak arm. And I'm not saying it doesn't, but, uh, are there other ways to throw the ball deep while having like a, you know, a declining arm strength, if you know what I'm sure. saying? Because a lot of throws that people might think of are arm strength throws are not really arm strength throws. Like a fade ball is not an arm strength throw. A normal post that's thrown with timing and rhythm is not an arm strength throw. Um, arm strength throws are more like deep digs where you take a seven step drop and you stick a deep dig at 22 yards where you've got to really drive the football. That's an arm strength throw. Um, you know, I can remember someone like Joe Flacco in his prime in his first five, six years in the league. He, he could throw those deep digs. He just beautifully, he could drive the football. Um, so that's more of an arm strength throw, but you can watch the Saints tape and you'll see back shoulder fades, of course, which Michael Thomas is very good on those as well. You know, those are plays that are 20 plus yard completions. Um, but if you're talking about the kind of deep ball that the deep balls people remember back in the Devery Henderson days and maybe even Ted Ginn a number of years ago, uh, no, Breeze won't throw many of those now because there's no question that those kinds of deeper throws that those balls lose energy on the back end. Breeze can't really make those throws the way he used to. Um, I feel like we're going to, we're, we're still sticking with the, the offensive side and we'll transition to defense. A player that's been, I don't know if perplexing is the right word to describe him is, is he's going into, I believe his third year now is a Trey Quan Smith. Um, He's flat. He's had a lot of flashes, especially his rookie season. But then he's also had noted struggles with picking up the offense and and you know just picking up the offense of the system. Um, and maybe your time of watching him, like, what do you see, you know, Trey Con as a player? Because I think going in, the expectation is him for to be the you know the number three option behind Thomas and Sanders. Yeah, and I think that essentially, when you're dealing with with Trey Quan Smith, he he was a vertical player coming out of college. And whether they saw him as replacing Ted Ginn, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I think that that's essentially what he is. Um, 
we just spoke about how detailed and nuanced and multiple this offense is. I can't speak to Traquan Smith. You may know more about it. I don't, I don't want to say anything negative about his ability to learn or anything like that because I don't know, and I would never speak to that if I don't know. Um, it wouldn't surprise me that younger players, particularly receivers, do struggle at times with this offense because there's so many splits and so many different way routes can be run based on splits. Uh, and people don't think about that with receivers. I was very fortunate um, years ago, and, I, and I've gotten to know him, but uh, years ago, I got a chance to interview Larry Fitzgerald when he was younger in his career. And we had a great conversation off camera about splits. And he was, he was really teaching me about the importance of splits and how that impacts routes. And, and my guess is younger players will struggle with that particularly in an offense that's as multiple and detailed as the Saints. So, as I said, I don't know if, if that's Traquan Smith's – if that's an issue for him. You guys may know more. But at the end of the day, he came into the league because I remember watching him in college. He was a vertical dimension to me. He needed a lot of work to become a complete receiver. So I'm not necessarily surprised by where he is in his career at this point. Uh, kind of sticking to the whole quarterback theme, just overall in the NFL, not really Saints-related, but um, the mobile quarterback, as we've seen coming to the league the past couple of years, is is that becoming a must-have instead of just a, a luxury as far as being able to be mobile and kind of create on the fly and being kind of the extra run option uh, with the RPO offense and what offenses are doing today? Well, I think there's – Multiple parts to that question, Ryan. Um, you know, mobile, uh, Lamar Jackson is mobile in a certain way. Uh, and then there's other quarterbacks uh, who are mobile in different ways. So if you're asking me, do you need a quarterback that can be a runner? Uh, I think that's not necessarily the case. I think that when you talk about a team like the, the um, uh, Ravens with Lamar, that's a unique offense. They're the only offense in the league that's built philosophically on the quarterback as a runner first and a ball distributor second. So you have to be careful about that. They're unique. Um, if you're talking about a quarterback's ability to move outside the pocket when, when he's forced to, uh, I think a lot of people would now argue that that trait is becoming more necessary in the league because what's happening with defenses, particularly on third down situations, is defenses are faster, they're more nuanced, they're more detailed in their pressure packages, and quarterbacks become under pressure. And if a quarterback under pressure can't move, then the play's over. Mm -hmm. um, now, again, that doesn't take away the necessity of being able to throw the ball from the pocket. You can't just look at college quarterbacks now and say, oh, he can run around, so he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. You still have to be able to make throws. Don't forget, the game is not taught. Coaches don't roll the ball out and say, let's go make some plays today. Everything <laughs> is taught in precise detail and nuance. That's the way everything is taught, but certainly the passing game. It's very timing, rhythm-based. The drop of the quarterback has to sync up with the, the route concepts and the combinations. I spoke about splits. It's also a function of either yards or steps with routes. It can be taught differently, but everything is precise and detailed. That will always be true. 
Um, so what we're really talking about is do you need to be able to move as a quarterback because defenses are better now and, and not every single play is going to be executed the way it's drawn up. Uh, is that dimension more important? I think the answer to that is yes. And I think teams are now trying to find that balance. Look, we've seen quarterbacks like, like Drew Brees, like Tom Brady, um, yeah. be great without necessarily having that ability. Although the ability both those guys have is moving within the pocket, which is different than moving outside the pocket. And I think moving within the pocket is an absolutely critical trait for a quarterback. I think with, with that, that question and that answer, I think this is a good, a good segue. Um, Jake Laser had like a mailbag um, on the athletic and he just essentially re reinforced the notion that, that Taysom will, Taysom Hill will have his, his shot at being the guy, being the heir apparent to, to Drew whenever Drew retires. Um, I don't know how much you've seen of Taysom, you know, in the preseason when he's actually playing quarterback. But if you have watched him from, from that perspective, like what do you – and it's all, obviously it's preseason, so take it, you know, kind of take it as a grain of salt. But what quarterback traits do you see from him as, as a player? But I think we, we're well, so used to seeing him in other positions, but – I mean, I'll be honest that I haven't seen a ton of him as a quarterback. I did not study him coming out of BYU, so I've not seen a ton of him as a quarterback, so I, I really can't answer that. I would say this, though. I would say that Sean Payton came to the Saints in 2006. Drew Brees came to the Saints in 2006. Essentially, other than five games this year, uh, I think it was five games, essentially other than that, Drew Brees has been the quarterback. So. Can Taysom Hill run the offense the way it's structured for Drew Brees? I'm not sure that many people can. Teddy Bridgewater couldn't, and I'm being honest. Teddy Bridgewater, I know they won the games, but Teddy Bridgewater did not play overly well in those games if you're isolating the play of the quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater was a beat late on a lot of throws because this offense is so timing-based. Um, can Taysom Hill do that in the context of the offense as it's presently, presently constructed? That would be a major question mark. You know, I can't, I don't know. They might think they can answer it because he's with them every day. I can't answer that. Um, I would imagine if he became the starting quarterback, if this was Drew's last year and Jameis Winston on a one-year deal did not stay and, and went somewhere else and they felt Taysom Hill because he just signed a two-year deal, I believe, so he'll be there. Um, if they believe he's the guy, I don't. I think there'll be some meaningful adjustments to the way they play offense with Taysom Hill. It will not be the Drew Brees offense in its totality. Right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a quick follow up question. Could it, in that the, the offense and that's and that's a point that Nick Underhill made and because people would constantly bring up. Well, if Taysom was the guy when Drew got when Drew got hurt, why didn't Taysom play? And his line of reasoning is that Teddy Bridgewater was more suited to run the offense as it was currently constructed, as opposed to Taysom. How like what are some could could we be seeing like uh, maybe a combination of what um, the Ravens are running with uh, with Lamar with Taysom at quarterback, or what are some some tweaks or changes that you that made the offense may entail? If, if Taysom is the guy at quarterback? 
Well, I think you'd see more design runs. I think you'd see more RPOs. You'd see more zone reads. You'd see more elements that stress defenses based on Hill's ability to run the ball. He's a big man. Taysom Hill's a big man um, who, who moves extremely well. So you'd see those elements. Um, all those elements also help define the pass game. Um, they help define reads and throws. And by NFL standards, a lot of those reads and throws become relatively easy. Uh, so it would be the pass game would work more off the fact that the quarterback dimension in the run game creates stress and conflict for defenses and forces defenses to play a different way. So therefore the pass game would, would be a little bit different. Now, Sean Payton wouldn't get rid of all his pass game principles, obviously, um, but it makes perfect sense as to why Teddy Bridgewater came into play because in the middle of a season, it's difficult to really make those kinds of drastic changes. You're just trying to get ready for your next game. Uh, so, so Bridgewater was more suited to run, you know, sort of the Drew Brees offense than Taysom Hill was. Um, but it would be a different looking offense. And I'm not saying it, it wouldn't be a good offense. I don't know that. And I'm not sure anybody does. I just, right. it would not be the same. Mm. Well, I guess we could transition towards uh, more defensive focus now. Uh, one of the questions, I got a, mo a couple questions about Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, Saints fans, obviously, you know, they realize the talent in Marshawn Lattimore, but you know, his last two years, he kind of starts off a little slow, uh, relatively, I guess, you know, and maybe he'll get beat. There's a game earlier last year, he got beat by Brandon Cooks, which happens, you know, or he was, he went against Nuke Hopkins and, you know, he got beat a little bit. Some Saints fans wonder, is, hey, is he focused enough? But, you know, playing his role as the number one cornerback that usually shadows uh, number one wide receivers, uh, is there anything that you've seen that he needs to add to his game to kind of put himself in that echelon as like Stephon Gilmore and the, you know, the top five CBs in the, in the uh, NFL? Well, I think he's probably in that echelon right now. Uh, when you play a lot of man coverage and the Saints play a good amount of man coverage, guys get beat. And that's just the way it goes. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, I think back to someone like Darius Slay, who played a ton of man coverage in Detroit last year and matched up to the opponent's best receiver more often than not. And he got beat a lot. And, and people are saying, well, he's not that good. Well, he got beat a lot because the, the, uh, there was no pass rush for the Lions. And when you're playing man and you have to play it for too long, you get beat. So I think Marshawn Lattimore, from a skill set perspective, is a top five corner in the league. I certainly can't speak to his concentration or focus. Um, you know, I'm not with him every day. You know, I can't speak to that. But I think from a skill set perspective, he's a top five corner in the league. And I think when you look at what this Saints defense is trying to build with, with Jenkins, um, Janoris Jenkins, that is, and Lattimore on the outside, I think they feel that they're going to play a lot of man coverage, which gives you a lot of options within the context of your overall defense. Um, and even bringing in Malcolm Jenkins, he can match up to tight ends and play man to man. They, they, they're very deep in the secondary. They've got a lot of guys who can match up at man. And I think you'll see a lot of that, but I think Marshawn Gilmore is a really good corner. You know, I think what happens because it's such a visible position is people see a guy get beat, which he will. I mean, I just, I, like I said, I've been watching um, uh, Michael Thomas and he beat Patrick Peterson a number of times. So yeah. uh, are we going to sit here and say Patrick Peterson isn't any good? You got to be careful about that. Mm -hmm. Preach. Uh, uh, you, you brought up Malcolm Jenkins. Um, 
as, as a player, he, you know, we, he signed as a free agent after the, the Eagles didn't pick up his, his option. Um, what you brought up, he, he can play man, he can line up against tight ends. Um, he might even play the nickel. How as a player and maybe, maybe experience it, does he compare to someone like Bon Bell, who the Saints let leave in free agency and went to Cincinnati in terms of like what his role in defense could be and how they compare as players? I think he gives you more dimensions than Von Bell because I think he can match up man. Uh, you know, he can match up man to both tight ends and he can play the slot at times if you choose to. So I think he gives you more dimensions than Von Bell. Um, and I think that's why they made the move. Um, you know, I think now, and, and the league is moving in this direction with, and, and I guess some people like to use the term positionalist. I, I think of it more in terms of multidimensional. But I think with Malcolm Jenkins and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who I really liked and I thought did a really good job last year, given that he was a rookie and he was asked to play numerous positions, I think with two players like that, they can really match up to specific opponents in any way Dennis Allen chooses uh, because those two players have the flexibility and, and the multidimensional skill set to, to do many, many different things. Uh, they can, obviously, they're secondary players, but they can also play in the box if you decide to go dime with six defensive backs. They can be that hybrid linebacker safety. So, you know, I think even, even P.J. Williams can do that to some degree with his size. So they've got a lot of, of interesting depth and dimensions in the secondary, and they certainly can match up and play man coverage. Yeah, with Malcolm Jenkins, I was kind of thinking of like late career Charles Woodson when he was with Green Bay, and they would kind of use him in the box. They would blitz him a lot. You know, they would have him play kind of safety sometimes and cover, you know, cover the nickel sometimes. Is that kind of a role you could see him as? Yeah, I mean, he can do a lot of things. So, uh, you know, and he's still a good player. I mean, there's, that's the reality. I mean, he's still a really solid player. So I think that, you know, when you talk about Jenkins, that's one of the reasons they got him because he has that multidimensional ability. So this isn't um, a question that came, <laughs> it just kind of came to me. Um, one of, I would probably say, and this is me trying not to be biased, one of the best regular season football games last season um, were the Saints, you know, when the 49ers took on the Saints in the Superdome. Yeah. Um, just offensive brilliance by both sides of the ball at its best. In that game, I, I, I obviously, we, I've watched all of Sean Payton since he's been the head coach of the Saints. I would probably, my, my, me witnessing his most impressive coaching, offensive coaching display is how, you know, he was able to, for a large part of that game, kind of take apart a, a very great 49ers defense and made it look kind of easy. What what did you see in terms of how what he what did he do offensively that well, attacked that 49ers defense so well? Adam, that was a long time ago, my friend. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the details of that game. I mean, we're we're in late May now. <laughs> That game was early December. You know, I'm old. You know, that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, so, honestly, I can't remember the specifics. But, I mean, um, obviously it was, you know, th their passing game was phenomenal in that game. But I, I can't remember, you know, the specifics of, of exactly what he did. Um, so, uh, I'm sorry. I just can't. No, it's okay. It was just one that kind of came to me off, off the cuff. <laughs> 
I mean, man. I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you I watch just a lot can't. of football, Greg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, look, we know that Brees threw what? He probably threw for 350 yards. I think, I think he threw for five touchdowns, if that I was, remember. Yeah. But I can't remember the specific plays. Yeah, that game was nuts. Um, uh, one, one thing – well, I got this question twice from fans, and even my wife, my wife <laughs> last night told me to ask you this. With the last three years and the playoffs loss, playoff loss that Saints have had kind of heartbreakers, you know, many on the two of them kind of at the last second, you know, one was the whole ref thing. Not going right. to worry about, we have to talk about that. But a lot of people want to know, is there, is there something missing from the Saints that or that they could add or that they have added that can push them over the top for well, playing off success? Or has it just been a bad luck? Just, well, just, I mean, you have uh, to, I think you have to put aside the, the, the ref game from a couple of years ago. Last year, I think one of the things that I remember, and again, that game was in um, early January, the, the loss to the Vikings. Um, I think that was a game that probably will send Sean Payton uh, doing a lot of off-season work because that was a game, as I recall, in which the pass offense was very, very limited by the Vikings defense. Mm-hmm. You know, even though Breeze had a lot of completions and probably had a nice completion percentage, there were very few explosive plays, if any. I don't even remember what his long gain was, but I just remember in my mind's eye watching that tape and thinking, wow, the Saints offense seemed really, really condensed. And, um, you know, that's where at times, and again, this is no knock on Sean Payton. I know Sean, he's, his record speaks for itself. Um, you know, I think there are times when, you know, you need to win one-on-one matchups. You need to try to drive the ball down the field. And, you know, I think that was a game, like I said, he'll look at and he'll learn something from that game as we go forward. But they were very, very condensed in their pass game in that game, as I recall. And, uh, you know, that, that probably sticks in a lot of people's minds and makes people think that, hey, Drew can't play anymore. And, yep. you know, and the, and the offense needs more than it is. Uh, and, you know, that's a hard question to answer because yeah. it's, you know, we don't know what the future holds. But, but their, their past game really did not do very much. And they're, not, and they're not a running team in a strict sense. I mean, they can run the ball and they run effectively but they're not a team that's built on running the ball. So, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it is as they go forward. But, yeah, that game brought out a lot of things that I think I'm sure fans in New Orleans probably, oh know, yeah, <laughs> they, they feel like there's an issue now. And yeah. I don't think we know that for sure. And the fact that the, like the biggest explosive pass play was from Taysom Hill. Hill. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, but then keep in mind, too, that, you know, a few weeks earlier, they played a really good Tennessee defense in Tennessee. And, you know, they scored 38. And then Breeze had a really nice game, as I recall. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they put up, uh, I think they put up over 35 points, if memory serves me correctly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the thing about games, particularly playoff games, is the magnitude of the game is what sticks in people's minds. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's like in anything, the later in the season you get, the importance increases. And if you lose, it seems like then there's a problem. Yeah, per- perfectly said. Um, that, I think that game was just a, a microcosm of a lot of a lot of things just going wrong. Um, 
particularly on the offense. Bad, bad game by the offensive line. Um, there's just a new, numerous things kind of went wrong in that game. Um, yeah, I mean, they, you mentioned the San Francisco game. They, they lost uh, because they gave up 48. But, uh, but you know, Breeze was – again, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, you know, that was a – there was no problem with, with their offense none. in that game against a really good defense. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like you said the the magnitude the playoffs it, it just amplifies and puts a, a bigger microscope on on the situation because uh, I felt that that Tennessee game was probably their best win of the season being that they were down early in that right. game and just exploded you know I know Tennessee didn't have anything to play for per se but they exploded in the second half. Um, Do you have anything else, Ryan, for Greg? Oh no, you go ahead. Um, I think we've kind of a good a good speaking of the offensive line in the Vikings game. How has the Saints offensive line, I guess, kind of evolved or or changed over over the years from the days of having uh, you know Jari Evans, Carl Nix, to now um, like you know having that inside presence. Now they have these amazing bookend, you know, right tackle, left tackle with Armstead and, and Ramchek. Um, how have you seen the offensive line and how it's constructed kind of evolved over the years? Well, my sense is what they're trying to do, and, and I think this is a really good idea. I think they're trying to be really athletic. I mean, I think when you look at McCoy, you had a really good rookie season, and he's an athlete. Cesar Ruiz is a really, really good athlete. My guess is he's, he'll line up at right guard. McCoy will stay at center. Um, you know, I think that they're trying to build a really athletic O-line, um, which, you know, is a good idea given the way defenses are now constructed and the, the increased athleticism of defenses. Um, and I'm sure Ruiz, for Saints fans, was not a sexy pick. I'm sure everybody wanted a receiver, or, or I don't know what position they wanted. I, you know, I'm not in New Orleans, yeah. but but you can make an argument that they have a top two, top three offensive line in this league. I love Cesar Ruiz's tape. I think he'll be a really good player, and I think he'll be like McCoy. I think he'll be a day one starter, and you won't have to worry about him. Uh, you know, they've got two really good tackles. Um, I guess Andres Pete will be back. Uh, so, and and then with McCoy and Ruiz inside, so. They've got a big and athletic offensive line, and I think that that was really important to them. That's why they made the, the Ruiz pick. So, you know, I think they feel that that's absolutely critical uh, to what they do. And I thought the Adam Troutman pick was an interesting pick, too, because he's, he's another guy who he was a high school quarterback. It seemed like they were big on drafting high school quarterbacks with <laughs> Troutman and Bond. But Troutman's an athletic kid, and, uh, you know, he'll, uh, he'll become that guy, the guy who can move all over the formation. Uh, whether he becomes Jared Cook, we'll wait and see. But, but uh, you know, they got more athletic on the offensive line, and they're going to stay athletic at tight end. And I thought the Emmanuel, Emmanuel Sanders signing was brilliant because he fits what they do really, really well. So, I mean, this is a good offense. You know, then it, now it, we'll see how Sean handles this is, you know, unfortunately we have no answers now, and we don't even have questions, the questions because no one's playing on a, on a field. Right. Yeah, I've, n- I've never missed, like, mini camp and OTAs so much, like, yeah. <laughs> or something. But uh, the Saints signed uh, Ty, Mo- Ty Montgomery this past week. Uh, I mean, you know, the- I- I'm sure they didn't pay him a bunch of money. He was kind of a player that's moved around a bit in the past. We talked about multidimensional players on offense and, def- and defense. He seems to kind of fit that role, too, of just a multidimensional yeah. guy that 
obviously, you know, he's not going to challenge anybody like Kamara or anybody for snaps, but somebody that can kind of come in and uh, do a play a role as far as uh, running back and wide receiver. Yeah, and he's another one of those guys. You can line him up all over. He has a ton of experience doing that. Sean is very good with those kinds of players. I mean, in a sense, Taysom Hill was that player last year. I mean, there were games down the stretch. He played 30 snaps. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think he's just like on defense, they're looking for that multidimensional player, and they have them. I think on offense, in some ways, they're looking for the same thing. You're trying to create conflict and hesitation and stress for the defense. And I think that you know, Montgomery is another guy. You know, he's, he's not a guy who's going to play 30 snaps a game, but he could play 12 snaps a game, and ideally those 12 snaps mean something. Um, speaking, speaking with that, a question that one of, our, one of the fans had is, in regards to mo- motion, not, you know, when a, right, when a running back goes out and splits out at right receiver, or if you have a player, let's say a wide receiver like Cordero Patterson, who will come in and shift and, you know, motion into the backfield, which, which is, I guess, puts more stress on, on a defense and, and how does that kind of change um, the defense when, when that motion happens? Well, first of all, it depends on what your personnel package is to start. And then it depends on when the defense is playing man or zone. Uh, because if it's a pass play and the defense is playing man, you're just matching up to your man. And where he goes, whoever has him goes. Um, you know, I think what it does, depending on what the play call is, it, it can change the strength of the defense. Because defensive fronts are often set up with based on strength of an offense. Um, and by strength of an offense, it's where particular players line up, like a tight end or like, for instance, if, if it's a three-by-one set, let's say it's a three-by-one set, there's three wide receivers to one side of the field, which is almost always the wide side of the field, and a single receiver to the short side of the field. That's the boundary X receiver. Well, the strength of the passing game is to the three-receiver side. There's three receivers there. So defenses will have to react accordingly, especially if they're playing zone. Um, so shifting motion – it changes what defenses do just because of where the people are. Uh, and you know this from film study. So a lot of times you'll, you can create some, some difficulty in how they're going to um, match up in zone in particular, how they're going to play zone based on where you align personnel and then the route combinations that come from the alignment of that personnel. And really good offensive coaches are really good at that. You know, I remember a play um, because I just saw it this morning and I thought it was really, really good. And, um, you know, I'm I'm looking it up right now. Um, It was a 26-yard play versus the Jaguars to Thomas. And it was a really well-designed four-man route concept to the field. So they sent four receivers to one side. That's really, really mm. difficult to deal with, particularly yeah. in a zone concept. There's, there's just too many people. Mm. It's hard to, to defend four people to one side when you're playing zone. So that's why teams do what they do. And Sean's really good at that. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, that's all I have as far as questions, Greg. I just wanted to just say we really appreciate you. Uh, I've been kind of listening to your stuff 
I don't know for how long. I mean, going back to when you used to do the podcast with Doug Farrar. Oh, man, yeah. That, that yeah. was a long time ago. Great, well, great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> great podcast you guys used to do, or you would, you know, you pop in on Ross Tucker, or shoot, I'd even listen to the, uh, the guys out in Tennessee, the radio show you do. Yeah, even I still do that every to, week. Yeah, that yeah even though it has week. nothing to do with Saints, I'd still listen <laughs> right, right. because I'd come away with some good nuggets. So I just appreciate you for, you know, all you've done is just, you know, just putting knowledge out there and trying to, you know, make fans just a little smarter. Well, you know, it's funny. One thing I was doing watching Michael Thomas is I was just jotting down, and these are just the first down plays, all the different formations, okay? And um, and I, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Right now I have 25 different formations, uh, on first, just on, on his first down target. So think about that for a minute. That's insane. You know, that, that takes, you know, we talk about Traquan Smith. There's a lot to learn. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and again, that's the advantage, too, of having the same quarterback your entire coaching career. You know, that, that's – you can't just step right in and, and, and do that right away as a quarterback. Yeah. That's – that's that is – and that's, that's insane. Like, especially for the right receiver position – right receiver tight end and even running back like that having that knowledge of you know there's 25 different personnel like you have to know where to line up you have to know what your split is it's so intricate like that's just it's 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 mind-blowing <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, I mean there's 25 different you know formations and I'm not done yet so maybe there's even a few more but let's say there's 30 you know that's an awful lot to learn and you know you can't and again it's like anything. You have to be in the exact right spot. If you're two yards away, it's totally different. You know, that, these things are taught with detail and precision. I, I guess it's, it's, it's fascinating to think about how many ways there are to kind of, you know, skin a cat because you have, you have those personnel formations and, you know, and maybe I guess like a kind of criticism, but something that like Sean McVay gets is, you know, he's very, you know, his offense kind of stays and it's, it's, you know, it's, three, you know, three wide receiver type of formation. Right. And it's just, it's just vastly different, but still can be effective when done correctly. And he'll be changing that because, you know, I think teams have, I don't want to say they figured it out, but I think he's recognized that, you know, you need to be a little more diverse and multiple with your personnel and your, and your formations. And I think you'll see him be different this year. You know, I mean, he'll still have his base stuff, um, but just think of the 49ers. You know, the 49ers, oh, no team too. in the NFL <laughs> used motion more than Kyle Shanahan last year. I mean, just every time I watch the 49ers, I mean, it is just, I'm like, this is amazing. It's, it's beautiful. Like, I, like, I feel like I'm at an at a orchestra, like an opera. Like, it's just, it just, and, and that's what's coming from someone who's seen Sean Payton's brilliance over the years. I'm not taking anything away from Sean. It's just, it's just different. And it, and it, it's even even in the Saints game, like you saw how motion and mixed direction just completely had the defense the defense just flummoxed, just completely. Yeah, and that that's you know that's what you're trying to do, and I think you know uh, you'll see more and more teams do those kinds of things. But again, then it comes down to the players have to be able to execute those things. That that's the critical piece. Look, I know a lot of fans think that if a team goes five and eleven, they think the coaches are idiots. That that nothing could be further from the truth. You know, all these coaches know an awful lot of stuff. They can all go up on the blackboard, or I guess I'm aging myself. They can all take out their, 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 their iPad, and then they can all, you know, put together great concepts. It's, it's how you teach it. It's can the players handle it. 
Um, Merrill Hodge always told me a great line that the um, coaches have all the power, but no control. You know, mm. when, when you can teach it, but then when the players are on the field, you know, they've got to execute it. Right. I, and then I, on, go ahead. Go ahead, Ron. I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying, and then on top of that, there's the sort of playbook that's not in the playbook between the quarterback and the wide receivers and the running backs where they just kind of game to game based on what they're seeing on the defense and what depending on the coverage. Hey, you know, maybe Drew Brees, hey, I want you to go this way when the defense does this. So that that's just a whole nother level of things. Right. It's not even in the playbook. Well, it's funny because I had a I had a chance to I know I know Dennis Allen a bit and I had a chance to talk to him over a year ago. It was actually at a preseason game when they came up to play the Jets. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about I was asking about defense and how he teaches it. Because that, that's what fascinates me. I'm a process guy. I'm fascinated in the process. Mm-hmm. And you know, he said that, hey, we have rules. But he said, there's going to be plays where the offense does something where the specific rules that we have don't necessarily, you know, handle that specific thing. And so then you just have to rely on your basic rules and react. And there's always going to be plays like that in a game on both sides of the ball, you know, and and, because you can't, you can't coach everything. I I had the, the great fortune of spending a lot of time with an old defensive coordinator from the NFL who's since passed away named Rod Rust. I don't know if you know that name. Um, Rod Rust actually was a head coach in the 60s at North Texas State. He coached Mean Joe Green. Um, But he was a defensive coordinator in the NFL for probably three or four teams. Um, Rod Woodson actually mentioned him in his Hall of Fame speech because he was a defensive coordinator in Pittsburgh when Rod was there. and he, I remember him telling me this. He used to come to NFL Films and watch tape with me, and that's where I really learned a ton about defense. And I remember him telling me that he started out so gung-ho as a young defensive coach, and he would tell his players, hey, if the offense lines up in this, you do this. If the offensive lines, offense lines up in this, then you do this. If they line up in this, then you do this. And then he realized, he said, wait a second, I'm overloading them. They can't do that. That's too much information. Yeah. You know, you have to – maybe give them two things. And after that, they just have to, they understand their rules and then they just have to react because you can't ask guys to remember 10 different things on defense because then they can't play. I have, I have one more, one more for you. We'll, we'll get you out of here. Cause I don't, I don't know if we'll, you know, I have a pleasure of getting you on the show again. Um, I, I'm going to speak just very briefly to, to Patrick Mahomes. Cause I, as a prospect, when I, you know, when I saw him at Texas Tech, and I, I tried to put my being from Lubbock bias aside when I watched him, I said, even as, you know, when he came out, like, he's the best quarterback prospect I've ever seen, like, ever, like, never, never seen a prospect as good as him at the quarterback position. And even someone who was such a big fan of his as a prospect, I'm still a little kind of blown away by how good he is, you know, going into year four. Um, what, By the I way, did, that was not universal when he came out. It was not. It was not. No. A lot of coaches I talked to, who uh, names will not be mentioned, but if I, if I did, you'd know that they're highly, highly respected and great coaches, and they not everybody thought he'd be a great player. I guess maybe like See, I, you don't have to like someone like even even someone like you know um, Al Shanahan. They had the number two pick. You know the quarterback position. That that aside, what have you? been able to see from him as a as a player in the NFL that just makes him so difficult to play against and what like what makes him so good as a player. even I as his biggest fan 
ever am still kind of shocked of how good he is so so soon. Well, I mean, there's a lot of factors, and there's a combination of factors. Number one, he's a he's a great great thrower of the football. Not not many guys can throw it like Patrick Mahomes. You got to start there. He's a quarterback. His job's to throw it. Not many guys can throw it like Patrick Mahomes, and not many guys can throw it uh, like Mahomes from different arm angles. So he's he's a an elite, and I don't use that word very often. Believe me, guys, I've been doing this a long time. Maybe I'm jaded, but I don't use that word very often. But he's an elite <laughs> thrower of the football. Um, then he's in an offense that's really well-schemed and well-designed and, and really defines a lot of things beautifully for a quarterback. Um, so that helped him be really good early in his career. And then you have the movement ability. Um, he moves really well and can make unbelievable throws on the move. When a lot of guys move, very often they, they throw checkdowns or they'll throw shorter passes. He can move and still drive the ball down the field with velocity and accuracy. Not many people can do that. So I think there's a lot of variables that have led to his success. Um, the concern for a lot of people when he came out, and you, you know, you're obviously Adam familiar with Texas Tech, and I think I watched eight or nine games of his, of his last year at Tech, was he was very loose and undisciplined in the way he played. Right. And there was a concern for a lot of coaches that I'm going to spend 16, 17, 18 hours a day on my offense, and I don't know if this guy is going to run my offense. Mm. And, again, it's easy. You know, once you have access to the result, it's easy to be right. a genius or it's easy to rip people. I'm not into that game. I'm a, I like the process. You know, I'm right on a lot of guys. I'm wrong on guys. You know, that's the way, like, that's the way it is. You know, I feel confident in my process. I'll be the first to admit I had those questions about Mahomes. His ability as a thrower was unquestioned. That's not the point. But I watched those eight or nine games, and I thought to myself, God, this guy runs around an awful lot when he doesn't have to. Is that going to work in the NFL? And I think he was really fortunate. And I'm not suggesting he wouldn't be good elsewhere. No one can answer that question. It's easy now to say, oh, he'd be great anywhere. We don't know that. But – I think going to Andy Reid really, really was a perfect, perfect spot for him. Yep. Was. And it's, all, it's always the, the what if, because that, I'm not sure if you, you know, but the Saints were, were poised to take him at the 11th pick. Um, well, I know, for, I know for an absolute fact that the Saints were going to take him if, they, if, they did not, if the Chiefs didn't make the trade. Yes, 100%. Without I know that for a fact, as you guys probably know that too. Uh, what you gonna what? make Adam cry? <laughs> get, a, get a little sad. Um, <laughs> thank you again, Greg, so much for coming on. Um, I felt like we 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 spent like fifteen minutes talking, but it's been way longer okay. than that. But it, we're just talking. It, we're just talking ball. It's no problem. <laughs> that's all. That's all we're doing. Um, any so I guess kind of like what are your you know with, with the uncertainty of the sea? Like what are your kind of plans? of like what are you doing right now besides just being quarantined are you just watching watching stuff from last I'm year just, i'm just watching you know doing little projects for my own benefit you know and for, like i i watched mike evans and chris godwin the other day i watched oj howard because i'm doing something with a, with a friend of mine in tampa tomorrow and i just wanted to you know because again we're far removed from the season and during the season i can't watch things back to back you know because i have to get through as much as i can every single week so, you know, when you watch guy, 
players or teams back to back, you get a whole different feel. So uh, I knew I was talking to you guys today and I just felt like watching Michael Thomas because, you know, I wanted to watch him again anyway, but I figured, Hey, we'll talk about Michael Thomas. Um, mm. I'm actually going to watch um, Dak Prescott. I'm going to pick out mm. like five or six games and watch him because he's a big topic of conversation. So I want to really kind of, dig deep into him again, you know, right. And I, I know how I think about him now, but who knows, maybe I'll change my opinion mm. if I watch five or six games in a row. So, you know, you know, I'll, I'll do that next. So I do little projects. And I just want to do a quick plug for you, Greg, uh, the NFL matchup show. I've been watching it for years. Sorry, I don't wake up that early on Sundays, but I always <laughs> Ryan is away with that early period for clarification. Yeah. <laughs> but I always have it recorded, you know, I always, no matter what cable service I'm with, I make sure it's one of the first shows I make sure to set a season pass on. It's like the best football show on TV. No hot takes, no, you know, no baloney. It's just all football, all smart stuff. So any fans listening, you know, book that show. It comes on during the season, early in the, on a Sunday morning. Make sure you book it and watch it because it's great well, stuff. Well, I really appreciate that, Ryan, and I'm, I'm going to give a plug too because – Matt Bowen, I don't know if you've you ever yeah. talked to him, but he is oh. so great. He's number one. He loves it. He's super smart. Um, I, you know, I, I love working with him. And, uh, you know, he has really raised the level of the show. So, uh, and, and Sal Powell is as good as it gets as far as hosting shows. So, we, uh, you know, I think we have a really good team. Hopefully, there'll be football on September 13th, and uh, we can keep doing our thing. Well, thank, thank you again, Greg, for coming on. Uh, give Greg a follow on Twitter, at Greg Cosell. Um, watch out for, even if you're a Saints fan listening to this, even if he's doing something on the, on the Bucks or, or Dak Prescott, if you watch Greg's content, I promise you your football knowledge will improve, just as a fan of understanding the game better. Um, Greg, thank you again for coming on again. You, stay, you guys stay safe. You guys stay well. And make sure, um, you know, we'll, we'll love to have you on again. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Enjoy it. So with that, guys, we're out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.